Welcome to the Rooted Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Wild, and I'm an author and mother. Here we have conversations on sovereign and instinctual womanhood and motherhood, cultivating thriving wellness, and much more. Listen to powerful birth and healing stories and topics on the wild woman experience. You can check out all I offer, including herbal elixirs for wild mothers and women, my book on pelvic healing, and all the show notes for these episodes at bethanywild.com. Now for the show. Welcome to this week's conversation with Erica. She is the host of the Crunchy Mom Club podcast, and I think you're really going to like this episode. We cover a lot in this episode from her sharing her stories of deep healing to prepare for pregnancy. Uh, She shares her pregnancy and birth experience, and then we talk about Uh, parenting, mothering, her experience with stepmothering, and all the stuff in between. So Erica reached out to me to be on her podcast, which was also a conversation that I loved, and you should definitely uh, check out our episode over on her podcast, and I'll link that in the show notes if you want to listen. And then, of course, once I started to listen to her podcast and going into uh, just checking out her life. I was very intrigued to hear her birth story and wanted to hear about her experience into motherhood and uh, what that's been like for her. So that's what we cover mostly in this episode. And I just want to share too, Erica is one of those really special women that you, that, well, that I have not often encountered in my life where she is deeply thoughtful with her questions. She's naturally curious when she asks how you are, um, you really feel it in your heart. I do, um, that, that she really cares and she really is interested in how I am. And so, you know, we, ever since we connected to being each other's podcasts, we've been building up, um, a little bit of a friendship with voice memos and I have really appreciated deepening in connection with her. I think she's just, not only is she a great interviewer and podcaster herself, um, not only do I actually want to be her friend in real life, like pretty much every woman that I bring on to this podcast, but yeah, I, I have been really impressed with her, with her true sense of care. And I know everyone who, um, you know, I'm connected with and they ask me how I am. Of course they, they really mean it, but there's something very different about her, just a deep sense of curiosity. And, um, yeah, I hope I'm explaining it well, but I just want to share that. 
that I've appreciated getting to know her outside of this, uh, this container because we have so much that we're both interested in and we are both podcasters on this journey of integrating mothering, conscious mothering with these really similar podcast ventures where we are talking to other women and unpacking these topics that are really important to our our hearts and our our spirits and our mission in life to elevate mothers and mothering and to shift the way things have been done and reimagine it into something that is life-giving and you know we're doing it in our own unique ways but there are so many there are so many overlaps that it's just um i just feel very nourished by, by our connection so i think that you i think that this is a very thought provoking episode especially when we get into these topics of mothering and what it means to truly uh respect our children and to view them as their own sovereign souls. Now, these are topics that are just so normal for women in our circles to unpack, but when we start to think about mainstream thought in regards to children and childcare, we can see how there is such a rift between the two. So yeah, I, I am definitely planning to unpack a lot more of those particular topics in later episodes, but this one is a lot about Erica's personal story, which is uh, so fun and beautiful to listen to, and I think you, again, will really enjoy it. So as always, you can find the show notes, uh, all the resources that we mention, all the links to find her podcast and her website and, and work and links and all of that. Um, yeah, you'll find that in the show notes. So I will just give a brief summary of this episode and her bio, and then we'll move into her stories. So we talk about how Erica witnessed her mother loving her role and how that led her to knowing mothering was one of the most important roles that she could choose in life. How entering motherhood as a stepmother first was her story and the differences between stepmothering and biological mothering. Her deep healing preconception path, healing depletion and chronic illness, and all the diet, lifestyle, gut healing, cycle, hormone, and boundary changes that she implemented. She shares about her pregnancy and birth experiences, starting with midwifery care and then her choice to free birth. We have a conversation on the choices that we make as women in the history surrounding birthing alone versus having female friends how it was to integrate a new baby into the family dynamic and her beautiful and supported initial postpartum experience, then the reality after her mom left and immediately put back into the overwhelm of essentially solo mothering. The importance in these times of finding like-minded mothers to surround ourselves with when choosing instinctive parenting 
how becoming mothers has changed both of us and a conversation on how we view children, their souls, and the call to approach them in a truly respectful way. The importance of awakening and shifting how we view our children compared to the mainstream approach to them. And then how the energy of the mother affects the energy of our children. I love this quote that uh, I found from her, from Dr. Emmy Pickler. One generally finds that infants are the most content and cheerful in the hands of mothers who move with ceremonious slowness. So Erica is the creator and founder of Worth Wellness, host of the Crunchy Mom Club podcast, mother to one, stepmom to one, and wife. After embarking on her own health reclamation adventure in her early 20s, following years of chronic illness, mental health crisis, and burnout, she decided it was time to take healing into her own hands and get to know her body as brilliant, not broken. This process led her to step in the, into the world of holistic health, energy medicine, and ancestral nourishment traditions. Eventually, she healed her body, got pregnant easily, and went on to have a natural pregnancy and free birth. Now, she supports women on the path to embracing nature's blueprint for thriving. Whether that's in the preconception season of life, in pregnancy, birth, or postpartum, Erica is passionate about helping sisters create the life rhythms and rituals that feel deeply nourishing, intuitive, and gentle for both themselves and their young. All right, and now for my conversation with Erica. From a very young age, I knew I wanted to be a mother and that vocation was definitely, it seemed like the most important path based on the environment that I was growing up in. My mom stayed at home and raised me and my sisters. I'm in the middle of three girls and she homeschooled us from kindergarten to graduation and very much loved her job as a mother. And so what I saw was that mothering was a very important job and was as a woman was one of one of the most important roles I could take on later in life. Now I also felt growing up that there was there was always a desire in me to make a big impact in the world. And some of that was the religious association that I was a part of put a lot of emphasis on like world change and missions and things like that. So I thought I wanted to go overseas. And I mean, I would read a lot of books about these women who actually ironically 
never married, never had children and lived like in the slums of India or something and like gave their whole life away there. And that also really called to me. So there was something that was just really interesting about like motherhood had called to me, but then this idealistic way of self-sacrifice was also appealing. And through my own journey with my body and mental health and being from a really young age, um, seeking out support in those areas due to challenges that I had as a teenager with eating disorders and anxiety and insomnia, depression, chronic illness. I, I realized that maybe, maybe it wasn't necessarily overseas that I needed to go to really make a big impact, but I could work in the mental health space. And so I started to pursue after I graduated a degree in counseling. And again, like it's, it, it seemed like the right next step, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't all it like cracked up to be. It didn't feel really resonant when I was sitting there. And I think what that speaks to, like, especially for women is that I personally believe like one vocation you know, one job that you show up to and clock in and out from eight to five for the rest of your life isn't, that doesn't like, even from a hormonal perspective, make a lot of sense for a woman on a lot of levels. And I also think what I was realizing was that all of this was very compartmentalized. I mean, even though like the religious community that I was growing up in, there was, there was a complete abandonment to like your sexuality. So there was like that whole part, that whole part didn't exist in that um, container. And then I go into like the mental health sphere and there wasn't a lot of information around like fueling your body from an ancestral perspective. And like, I mean, for myself, when I was going through my healing journey from an eating disorder, it was so confusing that I was being told that like, in order to be quote healthy, I needed to not have like any problems eating junk food, like that shouldn't bother me to just like go order McDonald's or whatever. But I just intuitively like, but that doesn't make sense. I don't think that that's the answer here. So it was just interesting. I was starting to put these pieces together and then motherhood, you know, I had more than I wanted to be married, which I thought, and to like have a partner someday. And I think the reason why that wasn't necessarily as, as strong of a pull as motherhood was because my parents had a very dysfunctional relationship and that was a source of a lot of trauma in my household. So I didn't have necessarily a great model for what a conscious loving partnership could look like, but I saw my mom so happy, like raising us and so fulfilled raising us that the the motherhood piece, you know, was something that was a really strong pull. So fast forward, I am 22 and I move out of state away from my family um, to pursue grad school for counseling. And I meet a man who had recently uncoupled from his spouse and they had had a baby. And this baby was only eight months old when I met him. Now he's my husband. And I was just so in love with the idea of becoming like an instant mom, you know, what is so weird, which I've now since like stepped into ownership of the fact that like, I have a very strong intuitive nature and can see things before they happen. And I remember the first day that I met 
my now husband and his baby, I came home, I met them at a church service and I came home and told my roommate, like, I think I'm going to be a part of their life forever. And I'm like, that sounds really crazy. Cause I literally just met, met him, but something in me just knew that something was there. And so that then, I mean, we became friends for a couple years before anything turned like romantic and then we ended up getting married. Now it's been like four and a half years and my stepson is now seven. And then last, uh, well, it's been a year now. My son is our son together is 12 months old. We had a baby together, but I will say what was so different what I had never imagined as a child was that my entrance into motherhood would be as a stepmother and would be to a child that wasn't my own. And that experience, having that before becoming a biological mother, it was just really interesting because none of it felt like how I always imagined motherhood would feel. And I I have a a younger sister who is an adoptive mother and she's not a biological mother. And the way she describes the feelings that she has with her daughter and the the challenges that they've had are very similar to to myself as a stepmom. And I I think that those relationships can be, you know, the kind of atypical mothering situations can still be a huge asset and and can be beautiful with a lot of work and a lot of support. But I do think that now having become a biological mother, the biology offers us some resource that I think is really critical to how demanding parenthood is. And I'm so grateful for that. I think like my journey, it's been different. The challenges of being a mother to my own child have been honestly, just mainly physical and the exhaustion and the depletion in the, um, moving away from all of our support system. When my son was only like five and a half months old and being in a new place with not without anybody else there. So very lonely in a lot of ways. Um, my first year of motherhood has felt, but I really do think coming off of the first couple years of as a stepmom and that being literally the hardest thing I've ever done to date, like <laughs> um, motherhood to my son Everest has felt very rewarding. And like, you know, there are so many challenging moments, but it's like in an instant, I can turn it around when I smell like his skin, <laughs> I can have sweet, like a strawberry, like mm-hmm. literally his cheeks smell like strawberries sometimes. And it's like, in an instant, I can feel like, okay, all is going to be well. And that is so much harder to access in, in some of these other dynamics. So anyways, I mean, there's a lot more to like how I came to conception because I had a lot of healing. Like, I mean, I would wanted to be pregnant for several years before I got pregnant, but with my chronic health issues that had started really with my eating disorder in my teenage years and continued on into my early adulthood. It really wasn't until I started to pursue healing from a more holistic perspective that I realized like, oh, my body doesn't even feel safe right now. Like there's no, no way it's going to be able to welcome a baby. And that process took, definitely took longer than I had wanted, but I do really trust like the timing of when these souls come in is absolutely, it's meant to be, I really believe that. And so I think when Everest 
came through was exactly when he was meant to come through. But that was quite a process too of not only was it one of the biggest like manifestations come true I've had to date like this baby, because I would have visions about him, um, dreams. Like he was so real before he was conceived for me, but then it was also a huge turning point for me physically and like my relationship with my body and coming into, I mean, because the baby's growing in your body. And so if like, you're carrying around this sense of disconnection from your body or even just hatred or disgust, like it's gonna, I can't even imagine being in that place while being pregnant, how challenging that would be. And I was actually so surprised because of the healing work I had done that I had heard a lot. If you have a history of eating disorders, pregnancy can like trigger that because you're gaining weight and your body's changing. But I did not feel that at all in pregnancy. I was like totally in love with a pregnant body. And like, this is so amazing. I feel incredible, you know, and it, it didn't, it didn't feel, it felt so right and natural. And I actually loved that part of it, like the change in my body. So I'd love to know a little bit more about, um, what you did to, like you, you mentioned you went on a healing journey to conceive and that maybe it took a couple of years. How did you, you know, yeah. What are the different things that you did? Um, how did you heal that distorted toxic view of your body? Like what, what are all the steps that you feel were the most powerful that led you to being a place where you loved pregnancy and your body changing and where you were able to conceive. What do you, yeah. What comes to mind? Yeah. So three months into getting married, I had a complete health crisis breakdown where I was pretty much bed. You know, I'm like 25 and every weekend I would go to work um, you know, I have this brand new stepson and then every weekend I would be like basically bedridden. So sick. I could barely eat because my stomach was just a complete mess. Um, now my husband had been in a car accident. He went to see a naturopath cause he didn't, he was recommended surgery and he didn't want to have surgery. And so this doctor was known for doing ozone injections to heal chronic pain without surgery. And so we went there and we love, I mean, he's still today, like our family loves this doctor. He's been so integral in our life and our, all of our healing, um, processes. But so I, that was my first, like, I didn't even know this way of medicine existed. And so I started to learn from going to those appointments about traditional Chinese medicine and other ways of healing. And I started to talk to him about what I was experiencing. He's like, okay, I think we need to like, see what's going on for you as well. In that same year, I got into several car accidents and got multiple concussions. So I was also dealing with the mental toll that head injuries has and how that just really takes a hit to your mental health. And so we did all this testing and it turns out I had a parasite. I had really low thyroid. I wasn't holding able to store iron. I mean, my doctor got my labs back and he's like, I don't know how you're walking around. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know either. Wow. Um, let alone like taking care of a three-year-old and working full-time and a new, a new wife. So it was a little bit crazy, but that was the beginning. And so, I mean, it, it was, I, I got, I had to rethink my diet at the time I was vegetarian and consuming tons of legumes and probably a lot of lectins, which was 
destroying my gut further. Um, but then also like, I wasn't eating any, you know, high quality meats to help with the, I was also really deficient in B12, like B12 deficiency, really low fat and specifically like saturated fat. I had had a really inconsistent menstrual cycle from the beginning, but I think that a lot of that had to do with my eating disorder. So I don't, and actually I still, because I was later than diagnosed with PCOS, I don't even really know. I'm curious when my cycle comes back, you know, postpartum, it still hasn't come back at a year, but when it does what it's going to look like, because it has like never been regular my whole life. Um, so I worked with him for a while, but one of the things he said pretty early on after we got on some supplements to take care of the parasite and to rebuild my nutrient stores, cause I was so depleted and I completely overhauled my diet. I started reading some books about like what, like there's the mainstream, what's healthy, like, and, the, and I mean, especially when it comes to like eating vegetarian and then there's like, what's the ancestral diet and what nutrients do my hormones need in order to feel like I'm safe. If pregnancy is a goal, like your body has to feel safe and not having enough protein and not having enough fat are two of the things that help send the signals of safety to the, to the body. And so that was kind of like a slow process of reintegration. I mean, I had convinced myself that I was intolerant to beef because, you know, I couldn't as easily break down the proteins when I hadn't had it for so long. So every time I would eat it, I wouldn't feel great. So it was like kind of just these like baby steps into, I think, I think this is right for my body. I need to see if this is doable. But then he also was like, you know what? I feel that this is my doctor. He's like, I feel that there are really, there's really deep emotional components to what you're experiencing. He helped me understand the gut brain connection and how you know, we can take these supplements, we can get you, you know, all juiced back up. But if you're running around in chronic stress mode and anxiety, you know, you're just going to continue to deplete your body because that takes a huge toll. And so that's when I realized like, okay, I need to really consider my just everyday habits and lifestyle. I mean, when it comes to sleep, I would be laying in bed on my phone until like I passed out, you know, into the night. I would probably, I mean, I can't even remember it's been so long, but you know, that my phone was the first thing I would check in the morning. I would immediately, when I woke up, I would do a hit workout or go for a really long run. And I mean, it's just all of the things that completely drain your body. And I would do these things the same day after day, after day, after day, not really honoring the rhythmic nature of what it is to be in a female body whatsoever. And so it was kind of like this, to me, it felt like this great rebellion that I had permission to like, start my day slow or turn off my phone. Like I, I was very codependent as a young adult. And so it was kind of this, like, I need to be everything to everyone at the cost of my own physical health. Like if I had a friend over and they were there at 1130 still, it's like, I wouldn't ask them to leave. I would just stay up, you know, and try to keep talking if they needed something. And I started to put some boundaries and parameters around my life to protect, first of all, my sleep, because that was just such a nightmare. And my doctor was very clear on like, if you're not sleeping, you're not healing. And so that needs to be a key here. We need to really, really prioritize healthy sleep habits. And I did, I mean, that, that, and then incorporating a morning ritual where I start very slow. I start with yoga, meditation, 
I mean, morning is so rich. I, I mean, I get up at like 4am now just so I can do that without my son being awake, which I know for some moms is like, that's crazy. But I'm like, no, I, I will be too. crazy. I will be yeah. crazy if I don't do this, you know? So, um, I know it's, it's like how, that's just how desperate I am to get it in because it literally is like drinking life for me. And so, yeah, those were some of the things I did, but then as I started to heal my gut and built, built up more strength again in my intestines, like I could feel that gut strength. I still had a lot, like my cycle didn't come back and I knew that I needed to look in a little bit deeper if I did want to get pregnant. And that's when I went to see, um, a female naturopath who specialized in fertility. And we did a bunch of hormone testing and she's like, you know, your levels of progesterone and estrogen are that of, uh, menopausal woman. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, so she's like, and I had very high inflammation in my body as well. And so we started to tackle that we use supplements as well for a time. And I did go on bioidentical progesterone for a time, um, to boost that back up. And after, I feel like it was a year about of working with her that took about, yeah, I'm trying to think of the timeline before I got pregnant. Um, but even still, my cycle was still very inconsistent. So as much as I wanted this like conscious pregnancy where I knew exactly when, because I was using the fertility awareness method and without like very predictable, like it's really hard to use those natural signs and signals if you don't have like a normal rhythm to it. So I, I didn't see it coming and we ended up getting pregnant and I had no idea. I, I found out on Christmas Eve because I started to feel really sick, um, in my gut again. And I was like, what happened? Do I have a parasite again? And I was getting ready to do all this and, you know, testing and, whatnot. And then I was talking to my mom on the phone and she was like, do you think you might be pregnant? And I was like, there's no way, like, no, I'm not pregnant. And she's like, just check. Like I would just rule it out. And so my husband was actually working on Christmas Eve and I told him to bring home some pregnancy tests. And sure enough, I took them and all five of them said oh. I was pregnant. So that was like, yeah, the best Christmas gift. That's ever. so exciting. Yeah. But that's, I feel like for, for baby number two, I would love for it to be this conscious conception, like that, just the idea of calling in with such great intention, I think was, is so beautiful. So I, I hope to have that someday with baby number two, but. It sounds like you were very connected to your spirit baby though. And it just, all the things that you did and the ways that you healed for conception to be so effortless and for you to have a beautiful pregnancy is like, it just makes me feel so much like our children motivate us, inspire us, elevate us to just, I mean, what is more motivating than the desire to get pregnant and have our children? It's like, you know, it, you changed everything about your life. That's just, it's just so beautiful. Yeah. You're yeah. reminding me, you're triggering, triggering my memory because I recall I had found this woman Oh, I can't remember what her name is, but she talks about trimester zero, which is a term that refers to like preconception basically. And how, when you are preparing to bring a child in, you need to, if that is your desire, that, I mean, this is true. I feel like in any, if you're talking about like manifesting wealth or abundance, or like right now, I'm really into reading about feng shui in the home and 
I'm like, oh my gosh, our home needs help here and here and here. And it's really fun. But it's like, when we do that, thinking about conceiving, I think that that creates this energetic space for a baby in your life. And I think when I started to, she's like, I mean, think about like, if you were pregnant today, what are things you would stop doing right now? Like, what are things you would do differently? Whether it's like, I mean, one big piece for me too, was the job that I was working was so stressful, so draining. And, and just the, the combination of working 40 hours a week and being, you know, my husband worked really crazy hours. So I was primary caregiver really for this other child outside of work hours. And so for me, like, actually I ended up during the pandemic, I got fired from that job, which was, you know, it's tough when you are fired from a job, but I think that it was like, it was one of those things that I was just drowning in that job and really miserable. And that was no, no environment to bring a a new life into. I think that piece really had Mm -hmm. to go. And for me to get really clear about my work in the world too, with women and with helping heal our connection with our bodies, like all of those things, I think played a role in setting me up to create an environment that felt welcoming to a little, a little person. And I mean, I would go on walks and I would, I, I would write letters to this baby. I would talk to this baby. I would envision, like I could see myself with the baby on me walking on our normal path. I, I felt so connected that I knew, I, I knew he was coming very soon. I just didn't know when. And so you are really right. I think, you know, when people ask, what should I do to prepare? I'm like, envision your life with a baby. Like if that means you need to slow down, if that means you're in the wrong job, I mean, if that means you're not in the right relationship either, like evaluate all of that because babies want to come where they're welcomed. I really think that. And, uh, I think for me, there was a lot of years in my life where it's like, I wanted a child, but in no way did my life look welcoming (laughs) to a child. So, Mm -hmm. and, and not that we arrive perfect. Like, I mean, there's so, there's so much too that I'm growing in now, but I also think that there's been quite an evolution to, to get to where I am today. Yeah, I hear that. So I would love to hear about your pregnancy, kind of how you started, what you were envisioning for, you know, your birth and just how everything evolved. And yeah, you mentioned you were working and then at what point did you stop working and just, yeah, what was your pregnancy like? And just anything you want to share about that? Yeah. So I had, that was my full-time job that I was referring to in 2020 that I was fired from. And then later I started working part-time at a naturopathics doctor's office. And I, at the same time, we were working towards relocation. And that was really like, we were set on that. I was really actually at the time set on that. I did not want to bring a baby in, in Portland where we were living for various reasons. I mean, with everything that was happening in the world, it felt like a very energetically dark place. And I did, I just felt suffocated and was like, I don't think I, I don't want a baby here. Uh, So we were actively pursuing moving. And so I had actually quit my job and just like, Oh, I want to say like two weeks later is when I conceived without knowing it. But so yeah. Mm -hmm. And that job I think was also really, what was interesting actually about that was this is just like a little health note. 
So in August, I got really sick. I had like gone to work that day and I came home and I started to have really intense stomach pains and it got worse and worse and worse and worse. And I mean, I have a history where I've, I've never liked being in hospitals or doctor's offices. I always felt like they didn't understand me. I would be like, as a child, I would be in the ER with stomach pain multiple times and they would say, oh, nothing's wrong with her, like send her home. So I just, I've never liked doctor's offices to begin with and never really trusted them. So my husband knows, like, if I say something like, I need to go to the doctor right now, he's like, oh no, like something is really wrong. Um, and I was so torn about it too, but like something felt really off. It turns out like I had appendicitis and they oh, no. had to remove my appendix. Yeah. And that's the only surgery I've ever had, but I remember coming out of it and it was so weird because I literally felt like something was missing. Like I've never noticed my appendix ever in my life, you know? And then I came out of surgery. It was like, something's gone, like from my body. And I was actually in such deep, I've talked about this on my podcast, but like, I felt so much grief, like from the removal of that organ. And I felt so guilty. Like there had to have been another more holistic way to address that. And the naturopathic doctor that I worked with, um, who's actually an acupuncturist, him and I had such like a, I mean, I learned so much from him in the time I worked there, but he really helped me work through that. And later my husband's like, I almost wonder if that, that was one of the pieces that that infection, who knows how long that could have been brewing was a piece of like, why you couldn't conceive, like why we hadn't had a baby yet. And I don't know, something about that felt like, I think that could have been a play, a part at play. And yeah, it was a couple of months later that I ended up conceiving, but yeah. So I found out on Christmas Eve and at that point I was probably like six weeks along and was so shocked. And, uh, I mean, my husband was del delighted. He was so excited. And I was like, am I ready for this? Like, I was not immediately excited. I, even though it's like, I'd wanted it. I was like, this is terrifying. Like now what do I do? And mm -hmm. I mean, I had been reading pregnancy material and natural birth, birth material for so long, like really educating myself on to just to be aware of like, well, how did I want to do this? And I had very, I was very clear when, by, by the time I got pregnant and arrived there that I was going to give birth at home and that that's what I had wanted. And so I was like, okay, I guess you, you know, hire a midwife. That's what you do if you're going to give birth at home. And so I, I went searching for one and found one in my area. While at the same time, I think the first, the first kind of entry point that I went down this rabbit hole was I was listening to a podcast by Luke story and he was interviewing this lady about ultrasounds. And I mean, she's, if you're like on a uh... continuum, She's I know like that one. <laughs> way over here. Yeah. And is that Yolanda? <laughs> it wasn't Yolanda. I listened to hers later. Okay. I cannot remember this woman's name, but she specifically all of her research and, and work have been around ultrasounds and the things that she started to talk about. I was like, oh my gosh. Cause I didn't know if I wanted, I had heard like I never looked into why some people in the holistic community were leery of ultrasounds, but I had heard it before. And so I was curious about it and I knew I wanted to decide whether or not it like, it felt right to me, but I didn't want to just randomly do it. So I was like, I want to like do my research and figure out what's going on here. And when I started to hear her speak about the possible health ramifications, 
later on that were adverse for a child that's received multiple ultrasounds, or even how you can diagnose things that aren't really real. And then the fear that that can cause, because you think your child has some maladaptive developmental thing. And then it doesn't end up having that when they're born. I mean, there's all these things that not to mention the equipment that they use now compared to what they used in the nineties is so much more powerful. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, in that way, it's like the potential harm is that much greater. So I, I decided like, after I had listened to that, I was like, this is not for me. Like, I don't want any part of this. And along with that, you know, is like the fetal heart tone monitoring. That's also the same sort of ultra. I mean, it's still using some sort of ultrasound only you're not getting an Mm. image, you know, technology. And so I knew I didn't want that either. So I went into my, I think it was, so I was aware that I was pregnant December and January. I had my first appointment with the midwife and I went in, you know, super informed. Basically I want no interventions. It's kind of like, why am I here? But you know, I'm checking off my box of like having a midwife at my birth and you have to meet with them all these times in order to get them to come to your birth. And so, I mean, we mainly just talked. I'm like, what did we even do? Um, it wasn't until so much further along that we could kind of hear the heartbeat with the fetal scope, but not even really. So I'm like, you know, I kind of gave up, you know, that I was going to have just, you know, it's actually a very traditional way to approach pregnancy, but like in the mainstream world, like to not have any of those little black and white photos to put all over social media, um, felt weird, you know, like it actually, it felt, it felt kind of isolating in some ways too, because I didn't have a lot of other people in my life that were that we're doing that. And I didn't want to talk to a lot of people in my family about my choices because I, for whatever reason, it's really interesting. I have a friend that her and I are so close, but we, we, we've talked about how, like, I got this label early on in childhood as a rebel and I could never understand why people thought I was a rebel. It was so confusing to me. And now, you know, she was like, I think Erica, like you, you are someone who asks, like in my community growing up, if you're someone who asks why and wants to challenge status quo, just simply out of curiosity, like, why are we doing what we're doing? You're seen as a rebel because like, you don't ask why, you know, in these circles, like you don't ask questions, Mm -hmm. you just follow the path. And so in every area of my life, I've always asked why, whether that's, you know, how the interventions in pregnancy, that were presented to me, you know, my midwife would say at different points, some people do this test. Now some people do this test. And I'm just like, okay, like, why, like, does that change how I'm going to take care of my body? Like, no. I mean, when it comes to like things like gestational diabetes, there's a lot of controversy about that as well. And I'm like, I already eat in a way that would help balance blood sugar. I've never had a blood sugar issue. That doesn't make sense to me to drink this toxic substance. Like that's so unnatural. If even if I wasn't pregnant, Mm -hmm. I would never you know, touch that with a 10 foot pole. So anyways, it just felt like I didn't need a lot of that stuff. Um, so yeah, we kind of, your midwife didn't bug you about getting any of these things or she said that it was fine to have no interventions and no monitoring. Yeah. I mean, which I actually have heard is pretty, like can be pretty uncommon, but she was very Mm -hmm. supportive of of my choice, you know, she'd present it to me and then, you know, that it was up to me. It was left to me, up to me to decide what I wanted to do. And so 
yeah. And I mean, I had a healthy pregnancy. The, the things that like happened during pregnancy for me that were kind of atypical really had nothing to do with my, with being pregnant. Like I, I don't know, I got this weird, like rib pain at some point where I was like immobilized, which was really random. Um, it could have just been the position of the baby. I'm not sure. Or the relaxant hormone. And I had pulled something, uh, I developed a hernia. I sprained my ankle multiple times. Like I got some oh, no. weird stuff going on by the end. I felt like I was falling apart, but, but as far as like the baby, like I always got a sense that he was healthy and strong. And I mean, I was, I was definitely growing, you know, at, it just, it felt intuitively. I felt like we were both fine and healthy other than these like random things that were happening. I'm um, kind of on the peripheral, but yeah. So I got to like 30 something weeks and that's when I listened to a podcast episode with Yolanda and I, it was one of those things. And I hear this so many times with moms who have free birthed, but like when you first hear about it, something like just like hits your soul and you're like, that is me. This fits me so well. Like this is the path I want. And I just kind of like listened and absorbed it and took it in before I told anybody, because I also thought like, I know nobody in my life who has done this. I have never like in our modern day, never heard of people doing this and everybody's going to, everyone already thinks I'm crazy. Cause I'm not doing ultrasounds. I'm not getting tests done. I mean, I would have like my family members be like, you know, well, are they measuring this? Are they doing that? And I'm just kind of like, no, we're not, you know, like everybody wanted me to be like doing all the things. And so I'm like, now I'm going to tell them I'm going to give birth by myself at home, you know? And so I just kept it to myself for a while. And then I, it just kept nagging at me. So I was like, I need to say something to my partner about this. And he didn't freak out. He was at first just like, okay, that's really interesting. I still feel like it'd be nice to have someone there who like has helped with birth. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is like, he's had another child, but birth in the hospital is, is, I feel like in a lot of ways, you're so disconnected from what's actually going on. He didn't feel confident at all. And like, he knew what, what happens because he basically just like caught the baby when the baby came out and helped cut the cord. And I mean, aside from that, he's like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so anyways, we kind of just left it as that, but I kept going deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole and started listening to the free birth society podcast, and all these stories of just normal women all over the world who are free birthing babies in all these like atypical situations, like twins and breech babies. And, and they're totally fine. I mean, these are this just, it felt like this whole collective of women, like is capable of something that it's like this big secret that we could do outside of the hospital, outside of the mainstream medical model that people aren't talking about. And so I just knew that it was for me and my husband would come around. <laughs> like I was just certain of that. And I was also prepared to just be like, you know what? Like it's my body. It's, this is what I feel is right for me and my baby. And this is what we're going to do. Like that, um, I don't know if that's, that. if, yeah, I don't know how people feel about that. But for me, I was at that point where I was like, we're doing this regardless if he gets on board. So, um, yeah, no, I love that. That makes the most sense really to me. It does. I mean, yeah. I'm the one to be, you have to I need to feel safe. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so then my midwife, when I, so I went to back home to my homeland to have a blessing way ceremony. And I came back and I told my midwife that, I wasn't going to continue um, because at that point she was saying, okay, in order for me to see you, 
um, or to, to be at your birth, I have to see you like every week. And we were paying out of pocket for these visits. And I think that for me is also something that I feel really is really a disservice to women that in order to like be out of the mainstream medical model, and we're trying to like explore a more physiologically appropriate, like natural way of birthing, we think that it's like going to cost so much money. And I think that whether that's like all of these baby products you have to have to like have a great setup or, you know, this now holistic healthcare team that you have to pay for out of pocket because your insurance doesn't cover it. It just becomes this huge financial burden. And, you know, if I really thought that I was in danger and like something was really wrong with the baby, maybe it makes sense that I would have had somebody there, but I just didn't feel any of that. And I trusted like that if something was wrong, I would know. And so it's like, this doesn't make sense to put my family in like in this financial situation when I don't think this is necessary for us, at least for us, it wasn't. And so I felt good about that. And I let, I let her go and journeyed into wild pregnancy for the last, um, several weeks. And I, my mom had planned on coming to be there for the birth to help with my stepson and then to just take care of the home and the cooking and all of that around baby arriving. So that was like the hardest part was knowing I was going to have to tell her, Oh, by the way, we don't have a midwife now. (laughs) And I mean, it was, it was a hard conversation. She had a lot of questions and I really, I had arrived at a place after finally connecting with some people in my area who had free birthed and touching on the family piece. I had arrived at a place where if she couldn't energetically get into a place of support, I was going to ask her not to be there because I needed to protect my birthing space. And for me, like, I mean, it felt really big to make this decision and I needed only the energy of support and trust and confidence that I could do this around me. And my husband had gotten there. He was fully on board by that time and really excited to do it. Um, him and I together. So my mom did get there and ended up being a huge player. Um, you know, I, I also talk about how a free birth does not mean an unsupported birth. And I think like, we need to realize that like, for me, I still wanted, like, I still needed the support of people around me. It's just, I needed it to be in a way where I was the authority and they were following my lead and I called all the shots. But if I needed something, I wanted people to be there to help, whether that was to grab a towel or a drink of water or to help support me in different birthing positions. Like for me, I didn't want to be unsupported but I wanted to be in charge and I wanted to be able to feel like I could direct, I mean, birth does its own thing, but within that, I wanted to make sure that whatever it was like directing me to do, I had full freedom to do that without other people being like, Nope, you got to lay down now. Oh, you got to do this now. You need to breathe now. You need to push now. Like I didn't mm-hmm. want any of that in the mix. So yes. I think that's an important distinction too, because I think that truly birthing alone is so rare ancestrally. I think out of every woman that I know, almost every woman, she wants her sisters around her or a, you know, like a trusted friend. And I've been reading this book about the history of childbirth in America since the colonial times. And for the first few hundred years of our history here, um, which is probably just continued from Europe, um, yeah, women would have like 10 of their female friends and neighbors and 
relatives that were in the home and just, you know, take care of the home and the older children and maybe a few in the room with her. And like, maybe that's a lot for modern women to have in, in their space. But I think, yeah, I would just love to see more of just like community supported birth and mother-led as you say like that's really the key too is that we want to have autonomy and control over the experience I mean it, it's so wild to me that it's like the dominant way is that we're controlled during birth in our in our instincts I mean it's so dangerous so it that's is. that's a great point yeah and and I think, I mean, we hear stories, even if you listen to the Free Birth Society podcast, you'll hear a lot of like second baby free births where they often mm-hmm. have the first experience is at home and it's with a midwife, but they do not feel like they had that autonomy and that freedom even so. I mean, I have a close friend who was in that situation and had a baby very, um, very closely after me and had that experience with a midwife. And I was just like, wow, I can't. I can't imagine like for me going through because of the birth experience I had now it's like, I cannot imagine any other way. I can't imagine someone telling me like to, to do this certain way of breathing that felt impossible or whatever, like it, or, you know, to tell me I couldn't take a shower when I wanted to shower right after or wash off or whatever it was like it, once you experience birthing and freedom, it's like, you don't want to go back. Like you just can't imagine any other way. And my husband said that too. He's like, wow, I can't believe we like, that was so intense, but also so simple. He's like, I mean, that, I guess that's the best way to do it, you know? And I understand there might be extenuating circumstances, who knows what's going to happen at the next birth. But I think after, for us going through that together, we're, we're like that to us makes the most sense for next time too. Um, you know, should everything unfold and it feels like the right decision again. So I'd love to hear about the birth, how that unfolded. Yes. So the birth. Okay. So my, some of my favorite parts about it was so leading my mom arrived a week before my baby was born. And so my baby was born on a Monday and the Monday prior my husband and I were laying in bed and he's like, I think we should just take it, you know, just for fun. We should just take bets on when the baby's going to come. And he's like, my guess is Wednesday, which would have been in a couple days from that conversation. And I just like stopped and I listened and I asked my baby like quietly in my head. I was like, when are you coming? And he said, Monday. And I like, oh. I mean, I was like, that is the most <laughs> random like thing to say. So I knew it was right. And so I said, he said, he's coming on Monday. And so that would have been like a week Mm -hmm. from that conversation. So what's so ironic though, is that both of us were right in a way, because my early labor contraction started on Wednesday and they lasted, which that was a part of labor that nobody had prepared me for. I don't know. I'm now realizing it's so common to have days and days of these early contractions. And, but I was so confused by that. I was like, oh my goodness, like, when is this going to happen? So from Wednesday night to Sunday, I on and off had what felt like period cramps on not, they weren't very regular, but they were daily. And as I started to get closer and closer to like when labor really reared up, I definitely felt what people experience 
what they talk about being almost a psychedelic experience where I was like leaving the normal world. I remember like Friday is my grocery shopping day. And I remember going to Trader Joe's and like the lights look different. The sounds look different. And I was so irritated by like people shopping. I mean, it just felt so like I am not in the right place right now. Um, not to mention driving when I was that big became so uncomfortable, like to drive around. And after that time at Trader Joe's, I was like, I am no longer driving and I'm no longer going to the grocery store until this baby comes. <laughs> like it felt so wrong. Um, but I just started to notice that like just normal, like it's so true that you go into this, like, I mean, I think of like a mama bear going into her cave, like getting, you know, ready to like birth her cubs or something like that. Like that's, it's so like your whole world just kind of like closes into birth. And that's all I wanted to do was just like prepare for birth. And I mean, I had set up in my bedroom, like my birthing altar, we had made a birthing necklace at my blessing way with affirmation cards and my candles and stuff for, um, the placenta burning ceremony we were going to do when the baby was born. And yeah, I mean, I was just spending that time preparing in all the ways that I, I felt like I could. And so then on Sunday morning, I would had been gifted a prenatal massage. And so my mom drove me out to the massage and, uh, the gal was like, do you want me to, you know, press all the points that they say might get labor going if it's already going to go. And I was like, sure. Yeah, it's fine. And so she did that at my contractions, wave sensations, like definitely were pretty intense during this massage, but it also felt good to like, take my mind off of it and to feel like I was being cared for. That's the part that, you know, as you're speaking to ancestrally, how we had this, you know, community of women around us, I think of like, in my head, I envision that like, multiple people are like massaging the woman's feet and her hair and like just taking care of her, like feeding her. And I, I don't know, I really longed for that as well. And I feel like in modern times, there's this push for women to work up all the way until the day they give birth, you know, and like, or to be at work that morning. And then that night they have their baby. And I mean, I heard from family members, like, it's so sad to me the way that we dishonor this process for women as a collective in America, I'll speak for like what I know, because I I would hear all the time, people would be like, talking about a pregnant woman who, oh, yeah, she doesn't work very much. And like, that's a really big, it's almost said as like this. Um, I don't know, she's treating her pregnancy like a disability or like, like, she can't do everything fully because you know, she's pregnant, but really, she could, I don't know, it's hard to explain, maybe I'm not explaining that well. But I, that makes sense. I I haven't heard that sentiment, but that makes sense from our culture. I feel like the women who were in my limited experience of just listening to other women feels like the ones who work the most and have the most stressful jobs have the hardest births, which totally makes sense. I mean, I think the more we rest and nourish, it's like, it's going to be much more potentially useful. Right. Right. And I actually, at the time, I mean, throughout my whole pregnancy, I was not working. I was taking care of my stepson. And, um, during the summer at the end, when he was out of school, I was full-time in my last trimester caring for him all through summer. And, you know, that to me is like, if that's not a job, I don't know what it is. Like that was really, really full on. Exactly. And so, 
um, yeah, all that to say is this massage felt so needed and just like, unless you've been through it, it's like, you don't understand the mental work of pregnancy that a woman like puts on herself and often the burden, the emotional burden of planning for a birth. And I mean, that's not a lot of the time shared by a partner. Um, I mean, I think about like all the books that most, like if women are reading and educating themselves on the different interventions and should we do them or should we not do them? Like often the partners are not doing all that work. It's like, you're coming to them and being like, okay, this is what I've found. This is the information I've spent all this time, like discovering, are you on board with this? This is what I feel or whatever. Um, so yeah, so I, I went to my massage and then I came home. And at that point, my contractions got very consistent. They were every five minutes, just every five minutes and growing and growing in intensity. And so, I mean, I went on a lot of walks. That was kind of the best way for me to just stay active and stay moving. And then by nighttime, I, I don't know. I I just could feel like something was different. And my husband and I went to bed and made love. And after that, we were both like, something is going to happen. Like something is happening. And my husband like went to do something with his son, like to put him to bed or something. And by the time he came back, I was like, it's happening now. Like you need to call the other grandma to come get my stepson. Like this is it. And so he did right away and we got everything like ready. And yeah, I mean that it's so interesting to talk about the actual labor process a year later, because it took me a long time. I don't remember if it was on your podcast that I heard people talk about this or another podcast about birth, but I think just the amount of sensation that felt very painful to me, uh, was so like, I was so blindsided by it that it registered in my body as trauma for a long time afterwards, because I cannot recall a time where I've ever experienced as much pain in my life. And so that was confusing to me because I I had spent so much intentional time reading the positive birth books, reading orgasmic birth books. And I was completely convinced that that's the kind of birth I would have. And so I was very shocked to find out that it didn't feel that way at all for me. And I had very intense back labor. And so with every contraction, it was like super intense back pain. And so, yeah, so that was just really, really interesting. And I pretty quickly, you know, rallied like my husband, like, okay, we need to try to figure out this whole like counter pressure thing that I hear people talk about for back labor. And so we tried that, which probably helped a little bit, but not a whole lot. Um, my water hadn't, I, my water had not, um, broke. It it didn't break until quite a ways into the labor process, but this is also at night. And I had like no sense of time and it was completely dark in our room. And so Yeah. I mean, I spent a lot of time on all fours on the floor and on my birthing ball and water didn't feel good. Like I tried to get in the bathtub, but that felt very stark. Like the bathtub situation did not work for me. Um, at one point though, I did get in the shower to try to like get some heat on my back to see if that helped. And at that point, like I heard a pop and felt like a gush, you know, I was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. I think my water just broke. And so I called my husband in and from there on out, things got super intense and pretty quickly. Like what's so funny is when you don't have anyone there checking, like I had no cervical 
exams ever this whole pregnancy. I had no idea where I was at, what dilation or whatever. There was like no stress about like, oh, you're only a two or oh, you're only a four, you know, whatever. It was like, it's just going to happen anyways. Like it's just going to happen. And so I have no idea where I was at, but what was weird about that is I felt like there was no clear, okay, now I'm in the pushing phase. Like looking back on it, I was like, oh, I do think all of a sudden it changed. And it wasn't those like squeezing sensations. Instead, it like became, I felt like I needed to, to push all of a sudden. And so at that point, it was like in the wee hours of the morning and my husband was so tired. So he asked if I could, if I wanted my mom to come in and help. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. So she came in and we had, we were living in a townhouse, like three stories up was when our, where our bedroom was. And we hadn't closed all the windows. Cause it's like summer and so hot in our, our townhouse. And so I was definitely a very loud vocal birther. And we heard, we were in the bathroom and we heard someone calling up from the driveway and my husband looks outside and he's like, the police are here. And I was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> and they're yelling up into like at us in the bathroom window. Is everything okay up there? <laughs> Apparently the neighbors had heard me and they called the police because like they had never heard sounds like that come from our house. <laughs> and so my husband like looks out the window and is like, yeah, my wife's giving birth. And they're like, oh, <laughs> you know, and they're like, do she want us to come up? Is she okay? And so my husband's like, do you want them to come up? Are you okay? And I'm like, no, no. I don't want them to come up. Are you crazy? <laughs> and so he's like, they're, you know, she's fine. She doesn't need anything. And so they leave and whatever. So at that phase, I don't know, it was probably maybe four in the morning or somewhere like that. Cause I think I could tell it was starting to get light outside. Um, so yeah, so I was pushing and pushing and I felt like like my husband could feel the baby's head and I have no idea sense of time, but it seemed like a very long time where like, I was not getting any further than just like the very barely peak of his head coming out. And we had tried to move in all these different positions and it, I was starting to get super dehydrated and felt really depleted. And so I think I got, was getting to that mind frame that people talk about where you're like, can I keep doing this? How, like, is my baby's like in my in my labor mind, I was like, can a woman actually be stuck with a baby, like half in half out forever? You know, like what is going to happen? And I was like, okay, what if we get stuck here? Like all those thoughts were coming to my head. Like, what are the options? You know, if I can't do this, like, are we going to call 911? And then all of a sudden everything that I have worked so hard to create for this baby through my natural pregnancy and my birthing choices in an instant, you know, when they get here, it's all gone and over. Like, do I really want that? And I didn't, I really didn't want that. And my husband was like, you know, it's really, really dry. I think we should, I think we should put some like coconut oil on his head and the area around it to like help lubricate things. And so he got that and he did that. And pretty soon thereafter, like more, more baby emerged. And I don't know, it was probably like within 20 minutes after that, that he all of a sudden like slid out and my husband put him in my arms. And I was just like, so I, I couldn't believe that. Like <laughs> my, I mean, it's like you, this is such a normal natural process, but something about it is still so magical and mysterious. It's like unfathomable that like this baby in the dark and my body grew and they come out. And it's a person, you know, <laughs> in my arms. Mm. And I was just, yeah, overjoyed and, we knew right away. We had two names picked out for him. I 
I had asked him his name and he told me Everest, um, but my husband was not sold on that name. So we had these two names, but the minute he came out, my husband's like, his name's Everest. I was like, yep, you're right. <laughs> you're on board now. Uh, so, um, <laughs> so yeah, that was just so beautiful. And I mean, the beauty of the free birth is like, I was right by my bed. You can just like lay in bed and there you are. And, you know, we didn't wash him off. We left him connected to, um, the placenta for a while. I don't even know exactly his, um, cord was really short. So we ended up um, doing the burning ceremony, probably like a couple hours after he was born, um, just cause it was a little awkward to like try to maneuver everybody around, but yeah, I mean, he was healthy and beautiful and I did, you know, I barely bled. Like it, 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 everything was so smooth as far as the recovery goes. Um, I tore a little bit, but I didn't realize that until a little bit later, which was very painful, but it, you know, healed itself. And, you know, there's all these things like people were asking, you know, the few people that knew I was going to free birth was like, but what if this, but what if that, but what if that? And I'm like, I don't think that it, I mean, I do think if it, if you want to go through all of those scenarios and have just like maybe a framework of what you're going to do, maybe that's fine. If that's how you feel most comfortable. But for me, I didn't feel like spending all my energy on all of the what ifs and the contingency stuff was a good way for me to spend my energy leading up to birth. So I was really like, you know what, I'm going to know what to do when it happens. Like as it comes, I will have insight and I'll know what I need to do next. And so that was kind of more the approach that I felt good with. But, um, I think because the pushing actually was such a slow process for me, I I've heard like the faster birth, sometimes you tear more. I don't know how much like, you know, statistically how well that's backed up, but it was a pretty slow process for me. So I think that could have helped in it not being, you know, a very big tear at all. Um, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's essentially the birth story. Yeah. He was born in the morning. It was seven 53. So we labored all night. And then, I mean, it was such a beautiful way to like start the day when, my mom like opened the curtains and I'm like, what time is it? What day is it? Like, where are we? And it's like a fresh new day and a fresh new baby. It was just perfect in that way. Like the sun shining through and new life in my arms. Oh, and then a Leo too, right? So it's just the epitome of summer and sunshine. Yes, totally. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's so beautiful. I feel really transported to your town home and like the light coming through and just, yeah, it's so, it's so straightforward. It's just a testament to instinct and feeling really strong and you're knowing as a woman and a mother, I think that's, yeah, it sounds like such a beautiful, perfect story. So how... How was the postpartum for that? Did you feel well supported with your mom being there? And how is it for uh, your stepson to, to have this new introduction, this new dynamic to the family? Yeah, so my mom was planning to stay for two weeks in total. And because the baby arrived a week in, she had a week left. And I mean, that week was magical. I think every woman needs what she could provide for like mm -hmm. a solid four weeks postpartum, like a week yeah. felt so, so short. I mean, she did all our laundry. She kept her house perfectly clean. She 
grocery shop. She made every meal. She brought me and made me my favorite elixirs and, you know, non-coffee lattes in the morning. And I mean, it was like so amazing. Um, yeah, it was beautiful. And I, I slept, you know, every time, pretty much every time the baby slept, I tried to lay down and sleep with the baby and, um, we were co-sleeping and doing, um, elimination communication. We actually started to pretty early on just to test, you know, test the waters out with that. And so, yeah, there was not a lot of sleeping at night, but during the day, the baby sleeps a lot in those early days. So that was kind of my, my Mm -hmm. time for rest. You know, after my mom left, I, I did, I mean, I'll be honest, like I really, really felt like I had not prepared myself well enough for just for me, the, it wasn't back to like a eight to five job, but it was like full time back into homemaker bus driver, you know, um, chaperone for my Mm -hmm. stepson, meal planner, grocery shopper, house cleaner. I mean, it, you know, plus now I have this baby strapped to me who's nursing all the time, who's with me on me all the time. And, you know, that was really, was definitely really intense. And I did have a couple people bring me meals after that, but I just, I had found my community of free birthing women and just women kind of more in the seeking to mother in the way that I desired to mother my son. I found them very, very late in my pregnancy. I mean, we, we both have a common person that we know in that group Esme. she, I met her a week before I gave birth. So, and then she introduced me to her community. So being so new, I think it was hard for me to like ask for things and be needy because I had barely put anything into this group of women. And so I felt a little bit uncomfortable doing that. And maybe I could have asked for more, but that, yeah, that part I think was really challenging for me. And I lived, you know, away from my family, which I know, you know, it's different for us. It's very different in Oregon. We have all the in-laws, but my level of like comfortability with them is just different than if it was my own family. And so, I mean, it's interesting. My sister, my younger sister just spent the last seven years in Africa where she met her husband and adopted a child. But she said, when I was talking to her about some of these postpartum things I was experiencing, she's like, oh yeah. In the culture of the country she lived in, she's like the, the woman about to give birth, like a month before or something like that, she goes and lives with family. And then the baby comes and she stays for like months with the family. Like she leaves her oh. home and goes and isolates. And she's like, that is hundred percent normal in this culture. That's what everybody does. And I'm like, yeah, I like in a perfect world, maybe I would like go back to Idaho where I'm from and like live with my mom for like three months after I give birth and like have everybody there to support me. And, you know, I just think that it's very, it's very much like we live in a culture of women are praised for how fast they can bounce back after postpartum. And I think that that is so detrimental to both mom and baby health, because if mom is not thriving, baby is also not thriving because they are like one for a long time. They are, a they are a dyad. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, you know, really a disservice to, to women. And I think like, for me, there was, I felt that pressure of like, okay, my mom's only here for a week. So I, you know, like it or not, I've got to be ready to go. 
like, and be okay with this and not struggle because that's just going to put, you know, a burden on everybody else. If it's like, oh, she can't, she can't handle it, you know, or whatever. And it's like, really, you know, my body just went through, I mean, the marathon that pregnancy is, and then the marathon of birth. And then now I'm in postpartum and there's not a a minute to catch your breath. It's like you now are on full-time night day and night shift work with the baby. And because of all the attachment parenting practices that I had chosen to do, you know, especially like in my mom's generation, the generation before us and in the religious community I grew up in, the solution to everything, you know, if you're too tired or whatever, it's like, well, or you're, you know, exhausted, like my nipples hurt from nursing so much or whatever. It's like, well, you need to put them on a feeding schedule and you need to put them on a sleep schedule and then your life will be easier. And I'm like, but the research, on, I'm like, cause I always am doing my research. I'm like the research on the outcomes for those, you know, practices is not very good. Like that doesn't feel very intuitive to me about the developmental, like even the brain development of infants that doesn't match up with what they need to feel safe and secure. Um, is not that I like refuse them food, you know, if it hasn't been four hours or whatever. And so that was also interesting because I felt like there wasn't a lot of people for me to go to and like, just genuinely be like, I'm struggling (laughs) because my answers Mm -hmm. I would get are like, well, you can stretch out his feedings. Well, you can put him on a sleep schedule. Well, does he have to sleep in your bed? I'm like, or like, do you have to wear him all the time? Can't you put him on a blanket for a minute? And like, teach him how to play by himself. I mean, these are the things people are saying to me. And I was like, Hmm, okay. So that's, I think that speaks to, to like how important it is to find a multi-generational community because other moms in the exact same phase of you are going to not have as much bandwidth to support you either because they're in it too. And I think that it would be it to have a multi-generational community that is choosing this way of mothering would be really beneficial because you could have those other grandma-like figures who understand what you're trying to do with your mothering and would just hold the baby. Like, I just want you to hold them for me. So they're still in arms, but I can go shower. I can go take a bath or whatever. Um, rather than tell me I need to train my baby to play on a floor mat by themselves and be okay. (laughs) So anyways, yeah, that was kind of like, and then five months into my postpartum period is when we uprooted and we moved to Florida. So, um, yeah, that's that. Those are my early like first forty days. Kind of picture is what I was mainly speaking to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. It just strikes me because I feel like the first pregnancy, first baby, is such um. It's such a great time for a lot of reasons, but because you get like all this time, you don't have to watch the older children, but you didn't really get that like full um, like rest period of the first child, because you had the older one to take care of. It was like, you were just thrown into like second time motherhood right away. Um, which is so hard. I mean, that that's my, like for me to wrap my head around that with like multiple children is hard because the first time it's like, you're so tired. It's like, when do you nap? If you have an older child, it's so challenging if you're, if you're doing it all alone. So yeah, I just, I just hear you on how hard that is. And I see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was thankful to, for the time, those first several months where we were there in Oregon, that is one way the in-laws could be very practically helpful is 
picking up my stepson from school and taking him some afternoons because they knew they knew I was drowning. <laughs> so that, okay, that good. <laughs> was helpful. Yeah. I think that was super okay. helpful. Just knowing I could call in grandparents and, um, they would at least help with the older son because yeah, you're right. That, that was definitely, you know, um, a dynamic that, you know, my friends, my same age who were on their first babies, you're right. It's like, it's a lot, but it's just them and that first baby. And there's not another child who's also still very young and has very big needs and emotions and, trying to meet them both, you know, as it presents itself with a, a different challenge. You feel, I'm, I'm curious in what ways do you feel like mothering him prepared you for your baby, um, Everest? And then, yeah, you kind of spoke to the differences, which I think is so interesting too. Just, I mean, that makes so much sense intuitively, just like, oh, when it's biologically your child that you know, that really carries through you through all the difficult moments. So I, I hear that part and I'm curious, yeah, how it did prepare you though for motherhood. Like, did you feel not as disillusioned as so many of us entering into it? How was that? So one interesting component that I heard from just listening or that I, I realized from listening to some of my other close friends that are similar age that were having their first biological baby, but they didn't have any other kids in the home prior, you know, what you were speaking to about women who like worked all the way up until the day they go into labor, whatever. What I hear is that they have this experience of shock by the monotony and the being like at home the pace of life of being at home all day long with an infant who doesn't talk, who, you know, doesn't, you know, for a while, they, they don't really have a lot of response back, you know, sort of thing. And being just in the world of homemaking for the modern woman, like that, that was really shocking to them. And that was not at all shocking to me because I had since being married and, you know, I've been with my stepson since he was a toddler. Like when we got married, he was a toddler and I've been in and out of a lot of different seasons where I'm primary at home. That is what I'm doing. That is the pace of life I am used to. That part to me did not at all feel shocking or disillusioning or anything like that. And I have heard from several people that that part, you know, that's where they're like, I just, some of them talk about wanting to go back to work right away because they miss the pace of it. They feel like they're not doing enough, which I mean, I still have some of those feelings as well, but not to the same degree because I, I've already experienced what it's like for this to be kind of my full-time vocation in a lot of ways. And, um, I think that is a one way where it did prepare me to be a little bit more acclimated to the pace of life with a little bit less guilt, because I knew that's just what it's like when you care for young children. This is how it is at home. This is the pace that it is. A lot of the work is so invisible. Nobody sees it. Nobody understands what you're doing all day long. <laughs> you know, it's like, so yeah, I think that would be one way where it did prepare me. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a blessing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of first-time moms go through so much just shock and just have never been in the caretaking role before. It's, and it's so challenging. Mm -hmm. um, 
So what are some of the ways that you feel like this has matured you and, and changed you as a woman having this sovereign birth experience and just caring life and, and mothering your son? I heard just recently on a podcast where they're talking about spirit babies, which I didn't have any context for like just even a couple of years ago. I was like, what? Um, but now I'm like, oh yeah, I totally get this. But they were talking about how the children born in like the last three years are like the activate, she was saying like the activation generation or something like that. And how a lot of them are coming in to activate the world to change. Because, you know, I think we could all agree there's a lot of really broken systems in our world right now. And I... I think for myself, I mean, there were like three distinct times my baby spoke to me when he was in my womb. And one of the times was really, I want to say it was maybe a couple weeks before I gave birth. It was pretty far along in the process. I was just feeling really, like I mentioned, like my body was falling apart and was starting to get like really frustrated with like the physical ailments that I was having. And I just heard him say so clearly, like, mom, be gentle. Like, I need you to be gentle. And I took that as like gentle towards my body, gentle towards myself, which included also like mothering my, like mothering me is going to require you to learn how to be more gentle in all the ways. (laughs) And I was reflecting on that today, even this morning on my walk. And I was like, I do think that that is a theme that has come up multiple times because, you know, the repetitiveness of motherhood, the same things every single day, the changing, the feeding, the sleeping, the cleaning up the big messes for me, including, I mean, a really big piece of that EC is such a huge commitment. I mean, it's on, on par with like nursing. (laughs) So it's like that for me also, like the repetitiveness, it, it can feel, you can get to a point where it's like, you're just getting through it and you've like missed you've missed like the opportunity for connection and you start to notice like you're just even handling your baby like not as gently not as intentionally not as consciously and I think like when I start to get into that mode I forget like oh this is a person who's gonna be like a grown-up like me someday who's gonna have a story and like it just feels so important for me to, to really like slow down and think through like, yeah, this is, this is an opportunity for me to help like create a story for him, like in his growing up, that is one of, you know, hopefully a lot different than, than mine in a lot of ways, but, um, trying to think if this, if this makes sense where I'm going, but I think for me, his coming into my life has activated a deep, like spiritual awakening for understanding that motherhood just is not just about like raising kids because like these kids grow up. And not only that, I now understand that like, or at least my belief around children now is like, you know, I do believe his soul has always existed and just came into a body at this time. So I think there's a part of him that's super old and wise and like eternal that like he does have so much to teach me too and I mean I never would have I never had that view of children a while back and that's what I'm learning too as I dive more into 
attachment parenting and respectful parenting, gentle parenting practices is just this like idea of the way we view children, even in America, like is, um, is pretty problematic in a lot of ways. And so I really, I have realized really just like in the last several months, how deeply ingrained my beliefs about like, because of how I was raised about children are and how that informs a lot of these practices, whether that's like sleep training or, um, different other different decisions that we're making. I mean, corporal punishment or just punishment rewards in general, like, do we do timeouts? Do we do whatever? It's, it's all like how you fundamentally believe who you believe children are and how they came here and what their purpose is. And just like that plays such a huge role. And I think that my son has really made me dig deep into like what I believe children are like who they are and what they're here for. And it's so much less about like, I mean, so much of the parenting mainstream is all about like how we can be more in control and keep everything under control with our children. And I'm like, that's a totally like, that's the total opposite view of what I'm now understanding to be like most helpful. (laughs) And, um, and it's not what I want. It's not what I want at all. So if it's not like control and it's not like conform to my way, you know, that then creates this like, oh, wow. Okay. I'm home all day with my son. And it's like, here's what I feel like I want to get done. But he, he's a very, you know, he is a sovereign being too. And what is, what is on his like little world agenda today? And how do I make space to hear him if he doesn't want to do that at that time, or that's not fitting what he needs? Like, how do I open up and be gentle? There's that word again, and make space for us both to live in harmony instead of just, I'm the parent power over sort of mentality and my way ultimately trumps because I'm bigger and louder and stronger. And I mean, I think we're learning this in general, like this just grasping for power and whoever's like the more powerful wins paradigm does not work anymore. Like it's not working. And I think that we see that in society. Um, and I do think it starts in the home, like how we parent our children is teaching them what it really means to have sovereignty and power and how to use that for the good. Like we all are powerful, but like, how do we use that for the good instead of to manipulate people who are weaker than us? And I mean, in our, in our homes, like the children are the weaker ones just by nature of like physicality. And so I see mothering as a great opportunity to, um, elevate the voice of those that are seen in society as weaker um, as kids and to really like stop and honor and listen to him because he's already shared so much wisdom with me and he's one years old, you know? So, um, yeah, I hope, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree. I'm glad you took it in that direction. Cause I feel like that's, these are just such important conversations to have and it can, we can go into it so deep, but it's just, um, Yeah, I really feel like becoming a mother too has made me approach children really differently and seeing how they're viewed in our culture is just so sad. You're so right that that aspect of of control and um, truly like infantilizing in a really negative way um, children and just wanting them to be, you know, 
still heard but not seen and discounting them and not seeing them as sovereign beings. Um, I think, yeah, we're kind of like shepherds more than, than, you know, like, like we're, we're tasked to guide them, but also there are teachers as well. And, and they're going to be adults one day and what kind of relationships do we want to have with them? So I think there's just, there's just a general awakening that's happening. And I think that, yeah, mothers like you um, are leading the way for for a new type of dynamic. So thanks for just yeah having these conversations and and thinking about these things because each I feel like each child matters, each person matters, and what you're doing for your son will affect his lineage and how he treats his children. And um, yeah, I just I just feel how powerful and important that is. Yeah, that actually, I, this is a good time to bring in this quote that has been resonating for me ever since you posted it on social media. Um, and I think others might find also really impactful. It's like very simple, but it's actually been very potent for me. Um, you shared a quote from Dr. Emmy Pickler. One generally finds that infants are the most content and cheerful in the hands of mothers who move with ceremonious slowness. So I feel like you shared a little bit of that. And um, yeah, I've just been really diving into like, what would it feel like and what would it mean and do to be embodying the divine mother and um the more I get into that space of that ceremonial slowness and just seeing myself as a holy mother the the more peaceful my child is and the more peaceful our dynamic is and the more at peace I am instead of like struggling in my role and um yeah, it's so powerful. I just feel like there's all these little pieces that can go in really deep directions. But yeah, thanks for sharing that quote. I, that really impacted me and how I want to show up. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, that's that quote was really potent for me. It was from a book, Elevated Child Care, about respectful parenting by Janet Lansbury. I've been, she has a podcast called Unruffled, and I've been listening to a lot oh, yeah. of her, her work. Love and her. yeah, and that quote was from that book. And I, I just wonder, I, I think, you know, we alluded to it earlier, maybe it was in the pre-chat. I can't remember if it was in our podcast conversation here, but this idea of the, even if we're home all day and that's, that truly is our main mainstay responsibility. If that's your situation in life as a mother, there's still, there's like this, I don't know what it is. It's like this outside cloud of pressure to move quickly, to accomplish much, to be productive, even if that's just unfolding laundry. I mean, it's like my husband a couple of days ago was talking about, you know, what would it look like? Because I've been experiencing some really just intense burnout and depletion. And he's like, what would it look like if we had one day a week where you just did whatever you wanted? Like on a Saturday when I'm off work, you just leave the house and, you know, we joke, we have these big glass water jugs that we take to refill, to get clean water. And he's like, you know, I will give you like 
you know, you'll go get a massage or whatever, but you'll take the water jugs and try to be productive after your massage and fill up the jugs. And he's like, so like, what if you didn't do that? Like, what if you truly just did something that was nourishing? Like go take a walk on the beach by yourself. Or there's this hippie yoga store that has crystals. I love to go to, but like, don't tag on errands after it. Like why he's like, I'm just so curious. Like, why is it every weekend or like you, you always want to be doing, 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 doing. And I thought about that too. Like when I'm home with my my baby, when my stepson's in school and it's like, I'm making breakfast and all of a sudden he needs to nurse. And I feel myself like annoyed because it's going to take longer for me to make breakfast if I stop and nurse. But I'm like, but like, why does it matter if breakfast is 10 minutes later? Like, I mean, it's just so interesting how like the sense of time and the sense of like pressure as moms to, I don't know if it's this idea that we need to prove to society that because we're staying home and taking care of our kids, we're still being productive because it's like to make up for the fact that we're not in the workforce. We feel like we have to be doing the equivalent, maybe even militant, like militant um, inner dialogue, like to ourselves at home to somehow make ourselves worthy of it. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what it is because I do think there's this, there's also this praise for like the working mom who's out of the house, like, you know, still contributing to society in the workforce, but raising kids also at the same time. And I mean, the, I have never done that since having two kids. I, I did that with the one, but I could barely keep up with everything with that one. I mean, since being married and mm -hmm. becoming an instant mom, anytime I was actually working full time, I, I felt like our entire family was just in complete chaos. It was not working. And so maybe some moms really with a lot of support can make it happen. And it's very, it's, it feels balanced and not overwhelming, but that's just not who I am. I think I have a smaller load of capacity before I burn out for maybe it's just my makeup physically. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that quote for me was just like such a reminder of, you know, our kids, you know, to the little, I mean, I think about my one-year-old who's still like in this dreamlike state, you know, it's like, there's no sense of time for him. Like when he wakes up at 3 a.m. and smiles huge, like at me and dad, he doesn't know what time it is. He doesn't care. You know, it's like, he's like, oh, it's mom and dad. You know, it's like they're they're in this, you know, bliss of not having these constraints of time. And how do they learn to be hurried and to be rushed and to like they learn that from us, you know, like that's like, oh yikes, mm -hmm. you know. He can feel that. He can feel the nursing session where I'm gazing into his eyes and enamored by his beauty. And he can feel the one where I'm like, oh my gosh, get this over with. And yeah, that just feels like, a, you know, not that any mom is perfect and is always going to feel dreamy while nursing their child. But, um, I think it's such a short time in the span of like raising mm -hmm. him that he's going to be doing that, you know? So I try to remind myself that to stay slow and savor mm -hmm. this phase. Yeah. Janet Lansbury is really great. Like I, I remember really being impacted too by her sharing about certain things that you really want to be gentle and present with in their, like their body care, like the, the mm -hmm. diapering or, you know, that kind of thing and nursing. And like, so I, after I had really heard about that, I made the intention that nursing, I need to give my presence. Like when our bodies are connected, when I'm, when I'm dealing with like her, um, you know, her genitals, like all these things I need to be like really present with and, and gentle and, and all of those things. Cause she, yeah, she's a, 
very aware person. And, you know, these are very important. Um, like they're going to form imprints, basically how we feel during those times. So oh, that's, yeah. that's a good reminder too. Yeah. I um, love that those components too, or even just like when mm-hmm. they are watching a butterfly, you know, let them finish that before you like scoop them up and put them in their car seat. You know, it's like, totally. I mean, how long, you know, how long does he really have where he can <laughs> just like watch a butterfly innocently and not feel any pressure to move on to the next activity. It's like, can I give him just that, you know, so that, yeah, that, that concept mm-hmm. of just the respect for them as a person and the world they're in has been really helpful for me too. Yeah. And that, that just makes, I know we're going to close up here, but that just reminds me because I just quit coffee um, like two weeks ago. And I think that's another huge component of it because um, yeah, we all know how different we feel on coffee versus off coffee. And if we want to align with our children's energy, it doesn't help to you know, beyond the stimulants. So I've definitely been feeling the slowness as very easeful without that. So another reminder, if anyone wants, if anyone's feeling like they're ready to quit the coffee, that might support that shift of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just want to thank you so much for sharing your sacred, beautiful birth story and your heart and your the journey that's led you to your son. I think it was such a beautiful, simple, magical story. So yeah, thank you for wanting to share it. And then just to close, if you want to share with the women listening, your podcast, any projects or work offerings, anything that you want to share with anyone, and you can send me the links to for everything as well. Yeah. Well, thank you, Bethany, for creating a space to have these conversations. It's, it's really fun for me to talk about motherhood and what it's been like to make my way through, through the portal is, is really fun. So thank you. And yeah, as far as keeping in touch with what is brewing over here, um, I, I have recently rebranded my podcast since my son to the crunchy mom club, cause that just felt really aligned. And I've seen just a lot of exciting growth and connections, like with a lot of other women, it just feels so right. Like I needed, I needed to go through the birth portal to really get re-energized with the work I was doing in the world and get really clear on what it is. So you can follow me there where I'm interviewing guest experts on natural parenting, gentle parenting, all the things we talked about today. Um, you'll find lots of fun things to dig into there. And then I recently just launched the natural birth preparation support offering for expecting mamas. It could be your second baby, your third baby, but that's really designed because I didn't meet the like-minded, you know, free birthing buddy. You don't have to be a free birthing mama to join this offering, but I didn't meet that person until a week before I gave birth. And so I really didn't I didn't have anyone to ask my questions about like ultrasounds or just talk to someone. I mean, even beyond that, I think about these intuitive downloads, like the spiritual aspect of pregnancy or the reality of how much pregnancy completely changed my dynamic with my partner. And I think some of that might've been pregnancy hormones, but nobody prepared me for that. Nobody, I had no one to talk to about that, but that was such an interesting time for him and I, I mean, I'm really grateful for it. And I mean, the minute the baby's born, it's like that changed again so dramatically, 
but even things like that, I just want to be a person on your team who can, you can talk to all the aspects, you know, that are changing and shifting in pregnancy. And if you are naturally minded and wanting to know what your options truly are as someone who's been through the birth portal and chose a route with very little intervention and wanted to honor the physiology of birth, I am there to remind you that your body was built to, to birth and can do this without intervention, if that's what you choose. So that is my newest offer. And I'm really excited about working with expecting mamas. So you can find all of that at worth wellness, um, www.worthwellness.org. If you are interested. Beautiful. Thank you, Erica. Yeah. Thank you, Bethany. It's been a pleasure to join you here for a conversation. Thank you for listening and being here. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love to have you share it with a friend and review this podcast. It really helps to have more women find these conversations. You can check out all I offer, including herbal elixirs for wild mothers and women, my book on pelvic healing, and show notes for these episodes at bethanywild.com. Now for the full theme song by Hanalei Lalopa. Together now, oh, wild sisters singing over the bones. 
Wild sisters of the earth weave together now. Oh, wild sisters singing over the bones.